it's a resource. And that's sure. what people wanted. You could have free healthcare, you could have free education, you could have better infrastructure, more optimized. And I'm firmly in that camp, right? I yeah. think that we are betraying our own evolution if we don't develop technology for the betterment of our lives, right? Hello and welcome to Deep Learning with Poly AI, the only podcast that has two humans talking about machines that are probably better than us. Uh, I'm here with my co-host, uh, Nicola Markchik, who's also the CEO and co-founder of Poly AI. Uh, Nicola, welcome. Good to see you. It's you, Damien. Thank you for hosting. Of course. I'm stepping in for Michelle. I'm typically behind the scenes, but today I'm bringing it in front of the camera. Hopefully I do her justice. But we're talking about a very exciting topic today, and that is artificial general intelligence or AGI, obviously making news in the headlines because of all the hullabaloo that's going on around the open AI environment. As of this morning, I would say <laughs> we have a CEO that's backseated in Sam Altman after two interim CEOs one of which was a heavy advocate and almost an acolyte of the concept of AGI. So we thought, what better topic to discuss a little bit than this potential end state of deep learning, which is artificial general intelligence. So Nicola, without further ado, you got a doctor in this stuff. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what the concept, it's not clearly defined, but what the concept of artificial general intelligence is, how it differs from most people's view of artificial intelligence, and then we'll go into some deeper questions about what it means. Sure. Yeah, I think the last weekend and, and the week and everything that's happened, I think I saw one Twitter post which said, this is the closest thing to keeping up with the Kardashians for nerds, <laughs> to, to, be, to being one of them. I spent the flight uh, back from San Francisco to London, listening to about six different talks from Elias Discovery, trying to like just dig out, like, why did the high priest of deep learning and the main advocate of making progress in the space. Was there uh, chanting in the background? Did we hear the feel AGI, feel the AGI in the background? I, I didn't feel the AGI while I was listening to it, but yeah. No burning um, effigies or anything either? <laughs> I was in a plane. I was in a plane. <laughs> yeah. like, uh, th th that might have been a bit of a security risk. But yeah, back to AGI. Look, the definition is, I think, difficult. A lot of people tell you that artificial general intelligence is something that can do most tasks that humans can do as well or better than them. That by itself is a bit difficult because we already have superhuman systems, some of them not even like necessarily AI, that perform many tasks that our economies depend on better than we do, right? And we're right. And I think the whole concept that I think really where the fear factor comes in, and also like the main plot of every sci-fi film ever, is the singularity, right? Where like right. a system can improve itself, right? It's an intelligence. It's almost like a self-sufficient unit, the way that a human is. And then, you know, it can improve, it can continue to advance and evolve, uh, you know, leaving our carbon past behind, right? And I think that frightens a lot of people. You'll hear Elon Musk talking about being a species and how this is a threat. And I think that it's definitely something that gets a lot of headlines. I think that the whole discussion on safety and what AI will do to us in the short term, it's a bit like, I would say that there's like a near zero probability that sentient AI goes after humans, right? What I think. It seems almost have, it's egotistical to think that, that we would be a top priority. And it's not just on the hierarchy of like special dominance, but I, one of the things that was always funny when you look at, when you look at Skynet or other interpretations of an intelligence that becomes like superior is that 
of course, the first thing they're going to do is create robots or create robotized human beings. Like we should be so bold as to think they would model themselves after us. You're right. And actually physically, like, why would that be the supreme form of not an actor? And higher beings would probably live much more in the abstract plane when you look at all your classical, pure mass professors. They're in the clouds thinking about their own things. And the fact some mere mortals do not really, really care for impact them unless they impact them physically. So I think we are projecting. It is, you're right. It is, I think, a very like bold assumption. The biggest risk is that as they continue to evolve, we are detailed on the side. What animals are to, to us. We love animals. We care for them deeply. We feed them. We feed our pets like cuts of their favorite food. Push comes to shove. If you need to build an airport somewhere or a highway, then you might actually just destroy someone's home and you won't even ask them. Right. Maybe it's possible that they will move and whatever, and it's not like life-threatening. Right. But the feeling, the fear, I think, comes from the fact that the level of power of decision-making will be such that it will be godlike and that it will be impacting our lives in ways that we're not comfortable with. Just talking about uh, the fear of it is obvious because, like you said, it's been fostered and fed by a lot of mainstream media leading up to this point. It never, it was always a it was always a science fiction possibility. It was never an actual possibility. But now we're on the cusp of that. Possibly even there's speculation around in social media. That's what caused the big rift in leadership is that there was a question around how to govern it. What? So we know that we know the sort of fears behind it. Why is it still a controversial topic? Why are we still moving, dedicating so many resources towards moving to that state, towards discovering and realizing AGI? I think that what we have is models and like things that can do things we previously couldn't imagine. But that really means that we have a tool that can enable us to build all sorts of things that we currently are unable to build with existing resources. It's a resource. And that's what people wanted. You could have free healthcare. You could have free education. You could have better infrastructure, more optimized. Like everything could be way better than it is right now. And I'm firmly in that camp, right? I think that we are betraying our own evolution if we don't develop technology for the betterment of our lives. And I think that's what everyone felt. And everyone felt a physical sense of loss when with Sam Altman, they saw OpenAI like retreating from that vision. And even if it imploded and they were all gone, it wouldn't matter. Because I think the genie's out of the box. But see, the fundamental insight, I do apologize for the Nikola Tesla airport. Oh yeah, we didn't get a chance to Uh, ask, where in the world is Nikola today? Nicholas is at the Nikola Tesla airport and I'll catch, <laughs> catching a flight to somewhere else. Excellent. But uh, that's just my life. But uh, kind of where were we? Yeah. Just when you think about what people realized and maybe just to summarize what like these models are like GPT-4, it's a yeah. vastly bigger version of previous neural nets that we used to create language models and stuff that have now reached a scale where they have what people call emergent properties where they are able to do things that you didn't explicitly train them to do, right? They're learning and creating connections, inferences, right? So I think that's like the really exciting bit. No one really expected that to happen. If you listen to Elias Lutzkever, right? The guy talks about one of the main qualities in AI research being faith, which is not what you'll hear many scientists refer to, right? And then he says, it's faith that what you're doing is right. And if you believe in it, you will make it happen. And the right. truth is, it's a wild experiment. You're committing a lot of resources on the line. You're fundraising. You're committing more and more like GPUs to an experiment. And 
it could just flop and give you nothing. And the concept of faith being something that's a bit antithetical to science and the concept of like true neural networks going into action, it, it seems like it's not a far stretch. It's hard to quantify and it's hard to measure the foundational like strength of that sort of claim. But really the human brain as it currently exists is a very complex mechanism. We're not using as much of it as we could. So maybe that is a totally. component. Who's going to prove them wrong? Totally. Totally. And I think it's just, it's an alternative model. It's not really like AGI in the, in that futuristic sense that people are afraid of. Right. But I think we're on the cusp of having models that you could potentially to a GPT five or six or a specialized version that you feed the right knowledge, you could say, Hey, create a pathogen that, you know, eliminates all males on the planet. Right. Or you could say, be a malicious actor on the stock exchange and go crash to New York and the London Stock Exchange, right? Yeah. And I think that's what uh, people are more afraid of. I think when you look at the people who are more on the kind of like decelerate and like just slow down the whole thing, I think that's really what's in their mind, right? Not so much like Terminator going after Nick sure. and Damien and ending their lives because- uh, We would be the top two targets, I say. If there is an existential threat to the future of uh, AGI, it is us. It is the two of us right now. You think? No, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go to battle. But you, I don't you know. I mean, really if you think if you think about what we do, we're the useful idiots, right? Like, <laughs> really come alive, I've been so. called that my entire life, Nicola. Um, we we bring up a really interesting piece, which is you know you could theoretically like issue these directives, right? So the question is the concept of being able to maintain control of AGI of a recognized or of an acknowledged and realized AGI plausible? Is it even possible in the future? We talk about the importance of, especially now with current AI models in business, in social applications, the importance of safety and responsible use yeah. and deployment yeah. of AI. Is that even plausible with AGI? So technology is absolutely controlled, right? It has always been. Like when you look at our systems and how we make them deterministic, even though we use a boatload of very powerful neural nets in our enterprise product, like it's absolutely yeah. controllable. This whole safety thing started probably about 10 years ago when people really focusing on biases in neural nets. The fact that like a computer vision thing for screening individuals would discriminate against one race. And that's like actually because of the data, because we as humans are heavily biased, right? Similarly, the question to ask about controlling something like AGI is not really, can we control the technology? It is, can we hold ourselves back? Can we resist the temptation? Once you are, let's say you and I are like the leader of the Democrats and the Republicans, we're a bit 40 years too young for both, but hey. Um, <laughs> Thank you very much, very nice. And if you think about that, then okay, my bot farm and your bot farm are creating fake content, fake stories about sure. your 50 illegitimate children and about the hundreds of billions that have st stashed away in the Cayman Islands and the right. whole thing is just exploding. Will we res resist? I think like the next American election is going to be really interesting because the way that the internet is getting electrified now about current issues, you see that technology already being put to the test. You right. see deep fakes all the time with statements that are not sure. And you look at it and you're starting to doubt everything, right? That's our defense mechanism. So it's not really, can we control AGI, but what does a world in which you have asymmetric capabilities by different actors look like, right? right. And that's, okay. that's, I think, where it gets really juicy, right? Because at the moment, you've got America as the global hegemon, right? And the challenged, but still dominant number one power, right? Sure. Um, with, with a superior technology, right? So that technology can be used with devastating effects, the more asymmetrical it is, right? If you think about the British Empire and the Opium Wars, 
I'm not sure that the British society was far more functional than Chinese society at that point, but the military technology levels were sure as hell very distorted. And it was very easy for Britain to impose very humiliating terms in China. Right. So I think like what people are thinking about now, what, I mean, when you look at open AI and just that whole discussion is who do you give that capability to if they themselves have something that could be used to create that pathogen or to just change the outcome of an election or something like that. How do you like get ready for a world in which that will exist? It will exist. You look at the open source models and they follow a curve that is two years, three years behind. Now, really? sure, okay. like these things are really expensive and it might be impossible for like different groups to create things that you can create with something that's been funded by billions in the US. But that's not true. There are at least a few centers of power in the world that can fund and create something and will eventually get there. So. Then I think the real question is just, this will happen. That's a certainty. And it's not really AGI. AGI. Blaming AGI is the wrong thing to do. But like knowing that the level of AI technology is reaching a point in which there will be a scramble for dominance in media, dominance in all sorts of economy, because you now have a tool that is like a steam engine for X, right? And I think we're now seeing like a Cambrian explosion of all of it. And the world will look very different very soon. It already is. I think we're part of that thing. I think like our rate of growth now, everything that we're doing with our customers, the kinds of conversations we're having with clients, um, it was unimaginable to me two years ago. Yeah. So that's, I think, the, the exciting bit. The rocket style growth of a startup, you could easily equate to the space race, which is who gets there first. It usually makes the biggest splash. The same could be said for the utilization of these tools. I, I agree with you 100%. It's going to be how can humans maintain control and not necessarily how does how do we control AGI, but how do we control our own impulses and our own yeah. drive to leverage for a competitive advantage that is sometimes unethical and amoral. And when you have a system that doesn't make those determinations, then all of a sudden that's a recipe for disaster. Unlike the space, the global space race, though, once the leaders were established and they were up among the stars, it was, okay, here we are. Now what? But this is a different story. This is a very different story, which begs the question, when you have that, when you have AGI that's realized, and you talked a little bit about this, like the open source versus closed source model, is it something that we as a society, as a global society should establish whether or not, whether or not open source is the right answer? Could, is that something that you think that fundamentally we'll all agree on as opposed to having closed walls and letting it be that next generation space race? I think you'll always have everyone who is not the number one player or believes they will soon be the number one player right. advocating for open source. I think this is so powerful that it is inevitable that it won't be open source at the leading edge of it. I think it's also extremely important that we make open source as closely. It really depends on like how much we want to change the status quo in the okay. world. Right? And if you want to see the world burn, then maybe you just think that it's worth upsetting it by releasing a thing that different parties will use in different ways and have different forms of success, right? Then we're a Dan Brown book. We're a Dan Brown villain at that stage. (laughs) But it's happened many times in history, right? If you look at, say, the Russian Revolution, the Soviet Empire brought on a lot of, the Soviet Union had a lot of progressive reform, but I think that the consensus is that if you probably allowed the Russian Empire to continue as it was the fastest growing economy in Europe, it was making huge social reforms regardless. They abolished serfdom and many other things. Those revolutionaries thought they were creating a better thing. I think by now we might have done better if the other thing 
had happened. But I think with with AI now, like people will use it in these ways. Yeah. And they, I think like that the, the economies that make the best use of it will do really well. The whole debate of effective altruism and like that is the, the, the continuation of ideas like the basic income and sure. all of that. That's where you say, hey, if Microsoft and Google are the two winners of this, if they're GDP of their value exceeds the GDP of America because they become the American economy because they're right. like the source of all value because AI has made them the sole kind of like guardian of the, the greatest steam engine ever created. Then do they're cutting the UBI that? checks for the, the citizens of that nation. Yeah. It's, do you think that's good? Is that just a continuation of our current status quo, right? Or do we try to encourage the whole world catching up in places that are less developed in other ways, using AI to circumvent their own issues. I think both will happen to an extent, right? Yeah. We will improve the lives of everyone on the planet with this. So it's just, there's a reason everyone is so excited and it's not just the sci-fi film. I think that, I think the concept of effective altruism deserves an entire episode on itself. And I know it's something that Michelle is very passionate about. So we'll come back and revisit that, expand on that a little bit. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious just as a whole, do you, Let's look at the deep learning industry and market. Is AGI the end game? Is that when all of a sudden, is it like cut to the NASA control center? And once AGI is realized in public and let's say open sourced and used for, for the greater good, does everyone just shake hands and say, okay, we've done what we can do. There's nothing more here. I think we didn't define AGI. So the question is, Vacuo says this, but I think the, to come back to the hero of, or, or the anti-hero over last weekend, I think it was. Nips back then, Europe's now in 2016, where Elias Sutskover just showed some model and then clicked a button and it said, problem is solved, right? <laughs> and I, we, Sean, Eddie, and I have used it as an internal meme ever since. Not really. It's just technology. I think to go to Sam Altman and his favorite bigram, which is talent density, right? Okay. Like the talent density of, I think, the people working on AI right now is as high as it's ever been. It's attracting literally everyone to work on it, to make advancements more quickly, because we see that the ROI is huge, not business ROI, but just the impact on our future lives, all of our future lives, right? This right. is the technology of our generation. How fast it will continue to improve at this rate where we feel like everything will get turned on its head? I don't know. Like it's really hard. Think of the space race, right? I think if you watched that thing live, which we didn't, but I think you would definitely assume that in 20, 30 years, there's like a charter flight to the moon where you, you pop. Colonies already being established. And yeah. you jumped around. Yeah, exactly. Like Aqueducts. Has been. <laughs> like, I think on the excitement there, you're probably assuming that moon is like, you're outing to Staten Island. And then like Mars is like, oof, that's like that trip to Bali that you've been excited for. Like, I'm life, saving right? up. I've got, ever since I saw Total Recall, that's been my vacation fund. <laughs> I... Like, or it could flop in the same way where, not, not flop, it won't flop. It will have a huge impact. But, and as you said, I think just the, the, the sheer nature of the product is it's not a singular Americans got to the moon before the Soviets did, or the right. Soviets got, got to space first. Like those were like propaganda items that were really important in the Cold War, right? Right. Um, right now, everyone can log into ChatGPT and use a model that researchers no matter which lab they were in, could not have imagined three, four years ago. So I think like that thing is there. It's usable. 
it's more like a steam engine than the moon landing. So that'll be the impact. But the steam engine, it, it completely transformed their economy. It created, it led to industrialization, and this will lead to big societal changes. When I think of our space and what happens in the contact center, right? it's never suffered from having too many people. It's always, it's been a chronically understaffed business unit, right? And with AI, you get a lot of extra work that can help, right? Like mundane tasks go away, you become more yeah. productive. So then it becomes a cold war between different companies to adopt a better AI solution so that um, they can win against their competitors, right? And the context. But not just from a competitive advantage, it's going to impact org design as a whole. Like our, our solution impacts org design where we actually advise customers that, hey, if you find that some one we're solving for churn, like you said, it's not like it's ever, yeah. it's not like you've ever been overstaffed in a contact center, but now you're right staffing and, and you're allowing some of the senior or most experienced or talented agents to avoid burnout by taking on greater skill sets, by becoming either yeah. a tier two agent that handles more complex problems, which reduces the mundane nature of those yep. intro level calls where they're getting yelled at because someone can't remember their password or something to that yep. effect. It makes them a more skilled agent, which reduces their burnout, which keeps them around longer and also makes them happier. A lot of our clients say that their agents are now happier because they're fielding yep. less, more, but more important calls. Yeah. But does that think, happen on a global scale? Yeah, it does. And look, I think that one thank you card we got from the head of a contact center for a client of ours was, thank you, we finally have enough time to grab a biscuit in between two calls. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, whoa, man, that's, and that's cool. And also, wow. Like, yeah, wow. wow. <laughs> These guys work hard. They still work hard. But I think that they're, when you think about the executives in a company, and let's use the language of software companies, because that's what we are, like there is a certain convergence between customer support, customer success, and then all the way to marketing operations and sales. It's right. all always been connected. It's in a software company that would be like your go-to-market, right? Sure. And with AI, with our products, right? What our, like our stakeholders get elevated much further towards being someone running marketing or sales because they're now able to do sales and marketing at a much greater scale and often better in a superhuman way with our technology compared to an understaffed unit that's trying to do it with human labor alone. Right. So yeah, there's definitely going to be some upsets. And I think like those countries we discussed, whichever one was first utilize this, the contact center for a long time has been one of the main targets for AI. Once people got off just, okay, it's cool. And then like, where are we going to deploy it at scale? Google con contact center AI has been like, it's been called that for a while. And it's one of the main kind of like tips of the spear for Google in pushing AI into the whole space. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, for AWS, like Amazon Connect and everything on top of it is also geared around AI and other like behemoths in the space and CCAS and UCAS, they can't get on this thing fast enough, but they're not like, they're not e even close. Right. So I think what we're doing is like bringing this technology into that department, helping yeah. it become a lot more important, more influential. If all of a sudden in customers service you have insights that would otherwise be the sole kind of like property of marketing, sending surveys. And all of a sudden you go, not only am I telling you that we have a problem here and an opportunity here, but I'm telling you that because 7% of the people mention it. And when they do, yeah, my voice assistant actually just goes into free form conversation and has that conversation that you would otherwise pay like 
an agency to go and collect on a random sample of people who might not even sure. be our customers. So this is, I think, it has huge ramifications for marketing yeah. and an ability of the company to make really smart, data-driven decisions about the wider business. Amazing. All right. I think we're at time. So I really appreciate the insights. A fascinating topic. I'm sure that everything will change tomorrow after this episode. Yeah, I'm probably, I'm probably, I'm probably wrong about absolutely everything. <laughs> but it's always fascinating. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. And we'll see you next week. Okay. Thanks, Damien. Thanks.